Welcome to the Celtics Rewind. I'm JP. And I am Nathan GM. What's up, y'all? Hey, 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 Celtic fans. This is episode 15 of the Celtics Rewind. Talking all things Boston Celtics. Happy All-Star game break and everything before everything comes back on Thursday. JP, the franchise, is here. I got Nat, the GM, with me. My co-host, Nat, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. There's no basketball this week, JP. I'm dying here. Uh, well, you know, I just have to just like enjoy like, you know, the Giannis uh, documentary that came on and stuff. So maybe that could help me with that, you know, and then also another special that came on this weekend during the All-Star game that I've been watching hundreds, hundreds of times, though. But we'll talk about it, though. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, but we got a special guest. We got a in the building like he used to be a formal video coordinator 14 years with the portland trailblazers especially in the damian lillard era and now he's the chief executive officer of getting the game one-on-one and it's uh, like i tell you like i took his class uh, a couple weeks ago and it's just dope all the people that he brings on and just helping with lessons of how to get into the NBA, how to get into basketball in general, just dropping gems. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And I gave my testimony and everything. Y'all definitely have to check it out. I have John Ross in the building. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's awesome to be on here with you guys. So thanks for having me. It's you coming on and everything. So um, so let's go ahead and get into it. Like you said, there's no basketball, but we definitely had the All-Star Weekend um, starting, you know, with the Celebrity uh, Celebrity Game, uh, you know, the Rising Stars, you know, Skills Challenge, on and on to the All-Star Game. Um, John, if you want to give a rating of the All-Star Weekend in terms of the festivities, what rating would you give it out of a 10? Mm, I'm going to go with a five. (laughs) So... It's uh, actually so like coming from working in the NBA for 15 seasons, I never watched All-Star Weekend. Um, growing up as a kid, I loved All-Star Weekend. Like I block out my whole weekend to watch that. Uh, once I worked in the NBA, that's like my weekend off. Um, so I never would watch it. But, um, you know, now that I'm out of the NBA, I watched it. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed the three-point contest. I enjoyed, um, you know, the... The slam dunk was okay. The skills competition was not good at all. I didn't know why they were passing the ball through a big hoop. I was like, it's ain't football. Like, at least do like a Kevin Love outlet pass or something. Um, <laughs> the game itself, I feel like they need to just accept it for what it is. Like, uh, it seemed like Commissioner Silver was disappointed in them not competing, but it's like, that's just not going to happen. Like, um, as many activities and functions that they're going to all weekend and protecting their bodies, like you're just not going to get them to like to play hard. So you might as well just embrace the the half court shots and the behind the back passes and everything they want to do um, and just figure out how to make it a more enjoyable experience. So five out of 10. Hey, that's, 
that's better than what I was about to give it though. But uh, hey, Nat, uh, what is your rating of the, out of ten for the All Star Weekend? What you think? So the All Star All Star Weekend sucks. We have to be honest about this. Um, I give it a three out of ten. Um, the only reason I care to watch the all-star game is because I love the three-point contest. I live for that contest year in and year out. Um, that everyone that they usually have competing, it's usually like, it's spicy. It's the spiciest event like of the weekend, if you think about it. Um, I lived for, you know, um, what's it, Stephen versus Sabrina. You know, I lived for that. That was awesome, you know, and it was so fun. And, you know, she scored 26 points and she matched everybody else of the night except for Steph Curry. You know, uh, you know, he's just the best, you know, three-point shooter of all time. It's just, I don't see that really changing. But um, it's hard with the All-Star game because they, it's like there's some stubbornness going on with, with Adam Silver right now and it's like the way that it's it's structured now it doesn't work it's not entertaining we're literally just watching celebrities and ball players that we love you know we're watching them essentially just be cool you know or just see them outside of their own home jerseys and it's getting boring that's what's happening you know i would love for the nba to you know adopt the all-star weekend half court play where it's like a three on three or a five on five or something like that. And then, you know, the knockout rounds, one team gets knocked out, you know, move on to the next thing that team gets knocked out until you have a winning team, you know, and, you know, just three on threes or whatever like that. To me, that's more fun because I think that half court wise, the guys would care more you would see guys, you know, really showcase their skill and their talent. You would get to see probably your Steph versus Dane that you really want to see, your Trey versus, you know, uh, De- you know, Darren Fox one year or something like that. You get to see that stuff, you know, um, as opposed to it being so many guys going full court, you know, that you just, they're not going to go full press. And also maybe putting some money up. The NBA has it. You know, the guy, you will play for money. You know, if you put up money and you say the the, the best um, team, you know, the, um, you know, gets like a mil, a million dollars or half a million dollars, those guys are going to play. So it just needs to be restructured, you know, and also, you know, maybe implementing more all-stars. Uh, I think that the list is a little too short, too, uh, with the guys that do make the all-star team. I think that there's some guys that could have made it. Sabonis. Um, you know, it's hard for me to look at the all-star weekend and not see his face weird, but you know, just something like that. And I think if you do that, the, you know, the ratings are going to skyrocket and you're going to tune in literally every year to see those, those contests. So would we ever, would they go into like they do with the, so like with the Pro Bowl, like they select the players that deserve it, you know, cause they had a really good year or it could be like, you know, the stars, you know, that they want to see mm-hmm. for the ratings and stuff. And you see that some of the stars decide to not go to the Pro Bowl, do any events. They'll just go and, 
you know, on vacation, you know, and just relax, you know, and get ready for the off season so they can get into championship mode next year and stuff. Will we see that in the NBA where we see like, you know, like a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant, for example, just kind of just taking the initiative like, nah, I, I, I won't participate in the all-star festivities and all that you know i appreciate being selected as an all-star but i'm gonna go ahead and take a vacation before we get back into the second half of the are we ever gonna see that um i'll answer that i don't know i don't think so i think that when it comes to the nba the guys enjoy it too you know it's it's big for them you get to you know see guys that you've grown up in the league with, you know, the younger guys. And, you know, you get to interact with fans differently. I don't know. I think that um, what I've seen over the, you know, the years and the decades, they enjoy it. You know, they really do. It's just a matter of the structure, and that's not necessarily on them. Uh, They, you know, they could say what their opinion is, but it's just the structure. If they change the structure, it'd be great for for everyone. And I think the guys would enjoy the competition as well, you know. So, um, but I don't see that. I think that all the big names and everyone you want to see, they're always going to show up. Yeah, I'll add to that. I just think, uh, I don't know what the CBA is, but I'm guessing those players are pretty much required to be there. If you make an all-star team and decided not to, I don't think uh, the league would be having that because they wouldn't want that to become a, a trend where players started sitting out. So there's got to be something where, where they basically require those players to be there. Because um, if not, I feel like a player already would have given like, I'm good. I'm going to go on vacation. Um, but there's got to be something there where they're they're basically they have to be there. Yeah, I agree with that, too, as well. And then speaking of Steph versus Sabrina. It just can't, it just, it was just so good. Mm -hmm. And just unfortunately, just controversy just comes out of it. As uh, Kenny Smith, you know, one of the people from inside the NBA, former Houston Rocket, made some comments that a lot of people on social media just kind of just it just blew up and then everybody just getting into arguments about, you know, what he was saying and what he was actually saying. So during the broadcast, after Steph Curry won the challenge and stuff, uh, Kenny was saying, uh, you know, like to Sabrina, he said that Sabrina should have shot from the three-point line that the women shoot from to, you know, eliminate advantage, you know, for, you know, Steph Curry. And a lot of people took that as like sexist and like, why would you say something like that? Um, you know, Nat, um, what's your reaction or what did you take out of his comments, you know, of Kenny Smith's, um, you know, comments about Sabrina? Uh, it was ignorant. Um, it was very ignorant. And I don't think there's any way you can say it. And there's, there's no excuse for it because... Again, she she matched everyone else but Steph Curry, you know. So she did just fine. She did more than fine, you know. Um, if she had shot 10, you know, for whatever and only had like, you know, only had like those 10 points, you know, I would still say, did she practice? Like, what, how, did you take it serious? Did you come out here and just, and, just, and just shoot, you know, because then I can go back and say there's a lot of guys that, competed in the three-point contest and they scored lower than 20 they scored about 16 and they got knocked out in the first round guys that you know could shoot very well all year round 
you know, at the NBA uh, three-point line. So it was ignorant. It was sexist. We have to call it what it is. You know, there was no excuse for it, um, especially when you, you know, he makes the comment, but then you look at her score and it's like, what did she do wrong? She she lost, of course, you know, but she lost to Steph Curry by three points, might I say, you know, and if you put Steph Curry in that three-point contest with the rest of the guys, he would have won. So therefore, she didn't do any worse than any anybody else that was competing, if you think about it. So there was no point for the, for the comment. It was it was ridiculous, honestly. And you know, if you look at the ratings, you know, for Steph and Sabrina, it was it was like the highest rated, you know, event. If you think about it, people wanted to see, you know, you know those those MB, those WNBA stars and those NBA stars together, you know, and WNBA has done great this year as well. You know, with marketing, it's had such a good year, but that's what you want to see. You want to see, you know, the women also there and having fun. And you saw you got great results. So he just dampened the moment with ignorance. And he also, you know, stood very tall on the comment and he did not take it back. So he's standing tall and firm in his ignorance. And, you know, I don't think there's any place for that, especially when you when you love basketball. You know, if you're going to love basketball, you, you love anyone who's playing it, you know, whether it's male or, you know, man or woman. So yeah, that's my comment. As well, phenomenal competition. Like, I love this. Brina and Steph decided to go head to head. Um, I feel like, you know, the biggest supporters of the WNBA have been NBA players through the year. And just to see, I would love to see more of the interaction at the All-Star Game, more competitions. Um so I would love to see Caitlin Clark versus Dame Lillard next year. Like um, I say, like, like let's keep growing that aspect. Um, so props to, to both of them. And I thought Sabrina was just phenomenal. Just to come out there. I mean, there's, I'm sure there had to be all kinds of nerves and pressure to come out and just drill the first rack. I was like, dang. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> Kenny's comments. Um, you know, I read, you know, the follow-ups and the background, everything kind of like you said, I, it would it none of it needed to be said in the first place. It just it add, it added unnecessary commentary. Um, I would say I understood his what he was I think trying to say, which was that you know Steph's used to shooting at this line. She's used to shooting at this line. She she might have hit thirty if it was from the line, but um, it's just an unnecessary comment that that kind of took away from what she did accomplish, which was like you said, unreal. That like she matched Dame Lillard, who won the three-point contest like um so i just think like yeah just it was a comment that that took away from what she did accomplish and what she did was was unreal and i personally hope to see more of that i agree with you um the one thing that's really interesting before kenny made those comments and stuff was that sabrina actually wanted to shoot from the nba three-point line and stuff to you know make it fail you know against step and she can shoot beyond it if people watch you know, a WNBA game and stuff. She shoots really far, you know, f- away from the WNBA three-point line. So it was just kind of like unnecessary. And like you said, John, he, you know, follow up with, you know, he kind of just doubled down his comments, but he was still, he was like, well, I was defending Sabrina, you know, people just, people who know basketball understood what I was talking about and stuff. It's like, no, like you made a comment that should have just, been put to sleep and put away and stuff 
But the easiest thing is that, you know, we got the remote button. All we had to do was mute it. That's all we had to do. Just mute. We didn't have to hit Kenny Smith and all that because, yeah, that w- it was just unnecessary uh, for real, though. But you know what was the craziest, the crazy thing, too, is that so it was in Indiana and Larry Bud, you know, legendary Boston Celtic, you know, he don't really he would rarely make public appearances and stuff. And he was there with the special. That was probably my favorite part of the All-Star Weekend was the special with him, Isaiah Thomas and Reggie sitting together. That was great. I really loved that. He got Legend of the Year, too, as well. But just, you know, hearing that he never met Jason mm-hmm. Tatum you know, until this All-Star weekend. And it's like everybody, like Celtic fans, which is going crazy, like that's crazy that Louis Bud met Jason yeah. Tatum for the first time this weekend and stuff. And everybody was like, the Boston Celtic man- management needs to do a lot better. They need to put, they need to bring more Larry Bud in and stuff like that. Or oh, I hear comments saying, oh, well, Larry Bud should we come to more Celtic games and stuff like that. Like, it, 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 it was crazy. It was crazy. But it was a really great moment. And Jason was starstruck, you know, and Jalen Brown was too as well um, to meet the legendary Celtic. But, um, you know, could we see, like, in future that Larry – Larry Bird be coming to more Celtic games. I know he's a consultant for the Indiana Pacers, so I don't know if it's going to be in his contract to, to go to more Celtic games, but will, will we ever see in the future to see a Larry Bird go to a Celtic game? I think that when it comes to Larry Bird, he doesn't make many appearances. That's the thing. He doesn't make many appearances. I can no, see doesn't. if he was seeing, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even think he he sees his own team, you know, as much as you think he does. Um, he's just not a guy that's very public, and he's he's been like that for a while. So I actually didn't have a problem with it. I could understand it, you know, why like why it's his first time meeting Tatum. I can kind of understand it because Tatum has met so many other greats from the Celtics organization. He's done their podcast, you know, they've come to the facility and they've practiced together, they've worked out together. So actually, Boston has done a, actually a pretty good job with the with the legends and, you know, with the 08 Celtics team and, you know, mixing with the new guys. I think they've done a great job. I just think that it's just the, the circumstance, you know, it's Larry Bird. He's not a public, one of those public uh, legend, legendary NBA players. He's just one of those guys that's low-key, excuse me, when you see him, you see him, you know, and and then that's okay. But it was great that Jason uh, got to, to, to see him. I, I also wonder um, if when you see a legend like that, do you behind the scenes talk to him? Because I'm about the knowledge of the game. Are you asking what was it like, you know, or, you know, what did you feel, you know, on your, your runs for a championship, you know, and what, what is something I can take with me, you know, and, and I hope that those um, legends give that kind of knowledge like Larry Bird. So, but, you know, it was awesome that they got to meet finally. Yeah, I was, I, I was pretty surprised that they hadn't met, but also not shocked because, like you said, Larry's a pretty private person. Um, but that was really cool to see. So um, I actually grew up just uh, 30 minutes north of Terre Haute, where Indiana State is. So um, we grew up on Sunday afternoons going to Larry Bird's restaurant and shooting free throws there. They had a hoop inside That's the awesome. restaurant. And um, yeah, so I've always been a huge fan of, of Larry Bird and um so it was really cool like this weekend to just see him involved in so i mean it was cool like 
you know, him and Reggie Miller and Isaiah Thomas and just really doing the whole Indiana thing was, you know, fun for someone like myself who, you know, I'm from literally like Hoosiers. Like we, I grew up in the cornfields. Like we played against yeah. them in high school, like the Milan. Um, and so like, mm. you know, the I, I, extra and blue oh, chips. Uh, wow. So like all that stuff is I in, did not know that. Really? Wow. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was a fourth grader, and my my uncle taught at uh, the high school, Frankfort, wow. Indiana, where they were filming it. So, um, you know, he got us tickets that were basically courtside that we got to at the end of the game when they throw the lob yeah. to Shaq and he dunks it. Uh, we get to oh. rush the court. So, um, I made sure to sprint on the court and jump on Shaq. Uh, must have got edited out. I didn't, I didn't see myself amongst the group, but uh, but I know I'm oh, down there. Man, uh, man, that's a fun fact. I did not know that. That's awesome. That is really awesome. Blue Chips is one of my John, favorite. Do you say that too often? I no, not too often. No, but um, <laughs> definitely a fun. A that fun is moment. awesome. Oh man, that is so awesome. Um, and then you know, I just love the fact that he came out and said, I would love to see the players compete and stuff. Well, that didn't really happen in an all-star game, you know. I mean, a 186 to 211, 211 points. I mean, that's a lot of points right there. And I mean, just see them legend faces. She's you seen Oscar's face. That was just like he was disgusted. Larry tried to he tried to hide the the madness inside himself just to watch it, but he was just like, man, what is this, man? What is this All-Star game and all that? And hopefully we'll be able to see the All-Star kind of be competitive, but I also understand it from the other side, like, you know, the players don't want to get injured so that they can be ready for the second half of the season. So it's like a double standard and all that. Like, fans is upset, but, like, they have to understand the players can't be hooked because if they get hooked during the All-Star game, then they'll go the second half of the season, you know? So mm-hmm. I guess it's like it's, it's a double standard when it comes to the All-Star game and all that. And Jalen Brown did talk about that. And we're going to get to Jalen Brown in a minute too as well, you know, talking about the – like we wish it could be more competitive, but they got to find a way to try to get the players to play competitively, but also at the same time keep themselves healthy too as well, which is a good quote by Jalen Brown around when talking about that but he had a quite he had a, quite a, a week all the like legends like i forgot to mention oscar as well grew up in indianapolis area but um those guys like the all-star game was so important because that was one of the premier games advertised to the world maybe the only game during the season that was on national television and so like those games were so important to establishing what the players are getting now and the owners what every Everybody, my anyone who worked in the NBA, what everyone's getting financially, um, a lot of it, it was built from those guys who went out there and competed in the All-Star Games and made that a huge event. And now you kind of fast forward, you know, once, once like, you know, winning a championship became like the one thing we're working towards in the season, like we're going to rest players, we're going to sit out healthy guys. Um, once that became popular it's going to be really hard to then go, but compete in the all-star game, but also take 12 games off during the season. Um, I just, I don't think you can, you can turn that back once, um, you know, coach Popovich and some of those guys decided like, Hey, we're going to sit guys out during the year. To me, that contributed to like, you know, any extra basketball. It's like almost there's too much information where, um, you know, guys sit out, 
um, often now, and it's not always the players who decide that it's the trainers, it's management, it's a group decision, but it's like, there's so much information where it's like, Oh, if this guy has, you know, a 12% more chance of turning his ankle tonight, well, we better sit him out because we're, we care about playoffs. Um, and so if there's a 2% chance of someone getting injured in an all-star game, you know, eh, you know, we're going to sit him out. And so there's almost, there's too much information now for, for them to allow a player to compete in the all-star game, unless, like, unless there's some kind of massive mm-hmm. incentive um, for them to do it. Like, you know, like in the playing tournament where it's like, everyone's going to make a lot of money if you go compete and win. And it was a great, it was playing tournament was awesome. Um, great. So I feel like they're going to have to like highly incentivize the all-star game for it to ever come back to, you know, being something that, that people want to compete in. And it starts from the top too. It might start with, you know, whoever the face of the league is right now is LeBron. It starts with LeBron in terms of just like him, you know, taking that lead and initiative. Like, okay, if I, I if I compete, everybody else is going to follow and stuff, you know. So hopefully it LeBron can happen one day. Well, he still technically is at the moment until he kind of goes into retirement, you know, that farewell tour that's going to happen. You know, he said he wants to take the Tim Duncan route. Nah, that's not going to happen. You know, you're getting the Kobe type of farewell tour. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. But, you know, he said the league's in good hands and all the young stars that he mentioned is going to be the next faces of the league. So he still technically is, you know, he's still like the, the grandpa that people go to. So, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, the grandpa. So, but yeah. Um. So, speaking of which, you know, um, of Jalen Brown, just the performance that he did in the dunk contest and stuff for him to go to the finals. Whew, that was uh quite interesting. It was like you said, John. It was an okay dunk contest and stuff like that. Um, did he get the message across that in terms of like since he competed, like he he seems like the type of person that. Anything he touches, like, he wants to be the first guy to do this that, like, other All-Stars is going to follow his footsteps. So you think he did a good job of sending the message across to other All-Stars to try to start competing in the slam dunk contest? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was awesome that he went out there and competed. Um, You know, whether he finished second or third. I, I mean, I thought his performance was was fine. Um, I mean, I didn't think anyone, you know, blew me away. I thought the best dunk was Mac McClung's very first dunk where he tossed it to himself in the air and like <sighs> judges weren't loving it. I was like, how did you guys yes. not see yes. what he just did? Um, I thought it was kind of down there, but um, Jalen, you know, so much props to him just for competing in it because like, I mean, no offense to like Jacob Toppin, I thought he did great, but like you know, no one's there to watch Toppin. Like, McClung's built his name. Hockey is, like, new and upcoming. But for Jalen to, like, as an all-star to go out there and as the highest-paid play- player in the NBA, get out there and, and do the dunk contest, I thought was really cool. And hopefully guys will follow in his footsteps. But, yeah, I had a lot of respect for him. I think, I think um, that's what's that. killing the, the all-star, um, the dunk contest. It's not all-stars doing it. It's not. That's what's killing it, you know. Mm. It's All Star Weekend, and you got guys from the G League, and, and there's no disrespect to guys from the G League. I've, you know, they are remarkable players, and I'm happy that they get the opportunity that they do because you put them in the game 
in a regular NBA game now, they are making a difference, you know, and they are filling up your bench with quality minutes. So this is not a knock to, you know, to the G League at all. Um, but you come to the All-Star game to see All-Stars, you know, and lately for the past few years, it's just been, you know, the other, the other guys, you know, and, you know, LeBron won't do it. You know, there's, there's other guys that just won't do it and they dunk all the time, you know? So I don't know what it is. It, you can't be that afraid if you don't win. <laughs> like, you know, you guys have losing seasons literally every year, you know, one team wins a championship. The rest of you are, are, are losers. We're all losers here. If we don't win that championship, you know, according to the, the standard, but have fun, but the All-Stars got to do it. And that's what we're missing, you know. Um, Jalen doing it was great, and I'm glad he did. And it looked like he had a lot of fun, you know. I don't think that they were feeling the uh, the glove dunk. But I'm like, there's some, there was a little bit of irony with, with the glove dunk because he dunked with his left hand. And, you know, all the saying, he can't do this with his left hand. So I was like, I got the yeah. fun. I was like, I Michael Jackson it. from Indiana. I think people miss that as well. We missed that too. Like so many things. I thought it was really so creative. Jalen has a lot of fun, you know, um, when he does things and when you know when he competes, he has a lot of fun, and I and I appreciated seeing that. You know, um, I don't think you'll ever see Jason Tatum doing it because I don't think dunking is just his thing. Jalen loves to dunk. That that's something that he does, you know, in the game. He loves to do it. But more all stars, all stars got to compete, you know. And I I would hope that. Before LeBron retires, he would do it once. And that would be skyrocket through the roof ratings. Mm-hmm. Do it once, you know, and get, you know, some other guys, some other all-stars to do it, you know, and just have at it. But it's going to be fun. We've seen LeBron dunk for 20-plus years now. We know he's got it. He's creative. Let's do it. Let More all-stars. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Um, so, you know, speaking of you know Jason and Jalen and stuff. So before the All-Star festivities began and everything, the Celtics faced the Brooklyn Nets twice back to back games and everything, which the Boston Celtics, the very first uh, very first matchup, you know, the uh, Brooklyn played a really good game. There was a very close game, you know, against them. And then um, <laughs> the, the second the second matchup. Yeah, that was, uh, whew, um, you know, I, I, I just it, it was just bad. It was just bad for Brooklyn. I felt bad for them. They fired Jock, Jock Vaughn. Thank goodness and stuff, but it was really bad. Fifty point yeah. blowout. Uh, John, uh, any takeaways that you got uh, from the Celtics versus the Nets series? I think you know a lot of that was leading up to that game for for Brooklyn. Um, like we already talked about, kind of players resting and stuff. I'm personally not a huge fan of it. I I understand it in times, especially if guys are injured. But um, you know, Brooklyn did that against Milwaukee. Like what was it? A few weeks ago. And their team was doing fine at that point. They were like in the play-in and, you know, they rested half their roster and then took the rest of the guys out after the first quarter. And then players after the game were like, I didn't want to come out, this and that. And they tailspinned after that. And so to me, that was an organizational decision. To, and it was like, why is the Brooklyn Nets resting all your play? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's not fair to the fans, the players who wanted to play, in my opinion. Um and so I just feel like the Brooklyn has been on a trajectory since then of not just like 
um, yeah, losing, losing basketball, but also just like a losing organization. Like you're in, you're saying we're not going to compete tonight. And then you want the players to then show up and compete um, the next night um, when you've already told them not to compete the night before. And then you get to the all-star break, which is the time when a lot of teams stop competing. Like a lot of guys start to turn it down right before the all-star break, you know, Um, Milwaukee Bucks against Memphis Grizzlies. Like they, they were, they were already gone. Um, And so I think that's what happened to Brooklyn is they started to, to turn down the competitiveness weeks ago. And then it, kind of culminated in that game against Boston um, where with Boston is too. I mean, you guys have a loaded roster. You have a lot of guys on your bench who can come in and like Peyton Pritchard had a great game. Like you got guys who can score, who can come in. And so even when you're missing a couple of guys um, or if a couple of guys decide not to show up, you have more. And so, you know, they have enough guys that, you know, are competing and showing up and they, you know, they handled their business big time that night. Brooklyn. Um, I think Jock Vaughn did it to himself in a way because there was a lot, there were a lot of times when I would, we, we were all wondering, you know, Cam Thomas, Cam Thomas, he's just on a tear. And then there would be this game, these games where he would sit him. And I'm like, why? What? There was no logical explanation. He wasn't hurt. You know, we, we didn't hear of any issues. You just, chose to sit him it's just bad like decision making this guy the cam thomas clearly is an nba scorer he can score in this league you have no business sitting him you have no business your team is not competing for you know any championship we know this you're developing talent why are you sitting your talent and it's just a choice you know and i just I thought when he did that and when he continuously did it, I said, okay, I don't think he gets it. So therefore, I don't think he's going to have that job much longer. Uh, you got to play the, the, the team that you have. You got to play these guys. But Cam Thomas is going to be a part of either the future of your team as far as he's going to get a lot of minutes or he's going to be a part of a hell of a trade. Either way, you have to play him. And he didn't. He, you know, it's just very up and down. Um, I don't quite understand the Brooklyn Nets or, as an organization um, just yet, you know, especially with the reports of they're going to build around Mikhail Bridges. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, but he doesn't move the needle per se. So that doesn't make sense to me, you know, but Brooklyn just, I don't think that they know what they're doing either, but, you know, it. When it comes to Boston, this is a well-oiled oiled machine. There are 55 games, and they're still number one in the whole league. You know, they look completely different from last year, um, where these types of games, they would probably lose last year. They would say, you know, we don't care. It's Brooklyn. And this year, they're like, no, we care. It's Brooklyn. It's Washington. We care. It's Detroit. We care. You know, and that was very different from the previous seasons. Now, something that really pissed me off in the, in the previous season, as well as I know other you know, um, basketball fans and Celtics fans, but you know, it's just business as usual. Brooklyn wasn't going to beat them. You know, they were going to, they were going to try, I guess, you know, and Boston was supposed to win. They're winning the games they're supposed to win. And that's really what, you know, what I can say, but, uh, I hope Brooklyn figures it out because it doesn't make a lot of sense over there right now. Um, a former head coach, great player, 
Steve Nash is over there somewhere on the beach, just relaxing with the Tropicana, just smiling, you know, just like, ah, the demise of the Brooklyn Nets. I am here for it and all that. They fired me, but I am here for the demise. So, but speaking of Boston, the second half of the season is going to be underway starting Thursday when they face the Chicago Bulls. And then they got Saturday going up against the New York Knicks, which I can't wait for because New York Knicks fans is like, we got so much better by getting OG and Bojan and Alec Book and all that, though. But I want to talk about just the goals of the second half uh, of the season for the Boston Celtics because – we know they had, they had a great first half. They had a great first half last year. And then that second half of the season, they, they kind of worried me in that second half of the season last year. Uh, what's y'all's goals and expectations? Even though they're still, they have the best record in the league, they are still the best team in the league by far. What's y'all's goals and expectations? What do you see that Boston Celtics need to clean up and need to focus on so that the second half of the season will go a lot smoother than it did last year, and then they're getting ready for the playoffs. Um, I'll I'll, I'll take this one. Um, you've played fifty five games. We pretty much know who you are, and you and I think you know who you are as well. I think that there are some things to clean up. I am not necessarily as confident in the bench as I think other people are. I. There's something about the bench I just really don't like. Um, there's some inconsistencies, you know, with Peyton Pritchard a lot of the time. There's some, and there's some inconsistencies with the, the wing coming off the bench. You have to make a decision. Who's who? You know, I think that Peyton is really good off ball. And when, you know, sometimes he struggles creating space in those key moments you know, and, and he overly passes, he's overpassing, overpassing. And it's and when you put another a guard in there and say, okay, and I'm going to play off ball, Peyton goes off, you know, because he creates space on his own. So I'm like, okay, you know, I need Joe to just try to figure that out because you're going to, it's going to come back up and you're going to play a Miami Heat team, very intelligent team because you have one of the best coaches in the league on that team. He's going to figure that out. Well, this kid, you know, he has a hard time scoring when he, you know, was the primary ball handler. Let me exploit that matchup. That is who the Miami Heat are. Um, I need Joe to just figure that part out. You know, um, I think that the health of this team is is number one, though. You know, Kristaps has to be healthy. He has to. The, he is literally the reason why I have been – I'm so confident in this group this year. Last year, I didn't really care. They were the best team the first half of the season. I could care. I said this team is full of issues. It's not going to work. Um, this year, Kristaps makes the, the whole difference. You know, he, he creates a mismatch in every single game. You've seen him go up against AD. You've seen him go up against Bam. You've seen him go up against Joker. And Joker struggled with him. All these guys struggled with him, every single one. And it's a different kind of look, you know, and they all struggle. He is the difference, you know. And with that being said, Joe also needs to figure out how to get him more involved. With all that said, he's, he's uh, I think, averaging 19 and 7. 
it doesn't matter if you don't look for him in, in the right moments. If you just keep looking him over, if you continue to take the jump shot when he has the mismatch, it doesn't matter, you know? So I just hope that that is what they clean up. And maybe Joe is, is watching some film and he's saying, you know what? We don't go to Chris Stops enough. So that's what I'm hoping for in the second half of the season. But I am very confident going into um, the playoffs. All should be to, you know, lock down the best record of the NBA because they, they're they in charge of that and they, you know, their home court advantage and they should lock that in. Um, what they clean up, like, they're still pretty, I'd say, inconsistent. Like, I see them play to their competition a lot. Like, um, you know, when the Pistons came into town and they had to scrape that out, like, I've seen – I've watched a handful of Boston games and I feel like every game I watch them, they, they play to their competition. I'm trying to think the new Orleans game where it's like, they, they making these comebacks at the end because they're more talented than everyone. And so it's like, mm-hmm. well, you don't want to just have to turn it on in the fourth quarter, every game. Um, and so kind of even like you mentioned, like with the Miami heat, like obviously they struggled this year, but they know who they are and you'd never want to play them in the playoffs. And I don't think Boston Boston is more talented every than everyone, but I don't know if they figured out who they are yet. Um, their coaching staff um, is young. I mean, Joe's young himself, and it's uh, I don't want to say you know he's not a good coach or he's a great coach, but he's young, and um, you see them not make adjustments or not get up for certain teams, and um, they haven't proved it in the playoffs yet. And so, uh, I mean, obviously they've had a ton of success, but that team is built to win a championship and until they do that, it's going to be a failure. So um, I, you know, I see them as the favorite. I think one of the, you know, the huge positives is like they, they have such a versatile team. And like you mentioned, Porzingis, like, yeah, he's been a game changer. Um, But then it's like, you got guys like Drew and Jason and Jalen who can guard five spots on the court. And um, you got shooters like, Hauser and Pritchard off the bench and um, you just have different lineups you can go to and you know that's a game changer in the playoffs because I feel like that's the difference of a lot of teams is like you you get matched up with a certain team and you need to go big or you need to go small or you need to and Boston has the roster that should be able to do that especially if you know if a player becomes available they add another piece or two on the free agent end um, so I think you know the key things are going to be um, you mentioned health as well, but consistency, health, and coaching. I'll just add to that really quick. The other thing I um, I did want to say, they did get Tillman um, from Memphis. Mm-hmm. That's a really smart uh, yeah. pickup for them. I like so, it. Good it's, pickup. It's a very pickup. smart one. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be an adjustment in that starting lineup going towards the playoffs. I think that you're going to see actually Al Horford find himself back into that starting lineup. He spent the whole season on the bench, and that was because older guy, he shouldn't have to do as much. I think that they handled his, handled his minutes very well. I'm wondering, and this is just you know speculative, speculative. I'm wondering if they're going to bring Al um, up off the bench, start him, and put Porzingis at the four. That's what I'm wondering. And it, and I think that it creates more havoc. And then in return, you might have to send one of those, either Drew or Derek White, you know, on the bench, which would be a great thing, actually, um, I think, for Derek White off the bench, because Jalen would then get more shots. And J- the problem I'm having also is Jalen's not getting enough shots. 
because Derek White is, you know, he's there's a lot of trust there. Love it. Jalen's got to get his shots. So move that slight move right there, I think, would make them a headache for anyone they play. Uh, uh, y'all make really great valid points, and those are like points I'm thinking about, you know, in terms of what Celtics need to do. Another thing I think they really need to do is try to balance the threes and the mid-range and in the paint because we shoot too many threes. There'll be games where we shoot ourselves out the game and a team would just beat us because we shot too many threes. We're not driving. Like you mentioned, John, the Pistons game. Just night and day, the difference. The first half, we were shooting so many threes. We wasn't hitting. Detroit was whooping our behinds. And then in the second half, we wasn't shooting that many threes. We started going into the paint. We started going into the hole. And, like, everything just kind of changed. And they made a comeback and went into the overtime and all that. So if they could find a balance of the three-point shot and driving into the hole and stuff. And they were really good of – you know, moving the ball around. They're a really good enough team to do that. And if they can, you know, focus themselves defensively, don't take really any plays off and all that, I think they'll be just fine. And also one of the things that we struggled last year was those late game situations when it's clutch time, when it's crunch time, when it's the last five minutes of the game. What do you do? I've seen that they're more poised in the first in the first half of the season than they were last year. So are they going to be more poised in the second half of the season? They definitely got to work on that third quarter. Yeah. They have to. Because that third quarter, they have a great first half, but when that third quarter comes, it just seems like they just, they just put their talents in the bag and then they just go back and – get the talents back and get the their talent back and they start playing in late in the third quarter into the fourth. So just things like that, you know, for Boston to contain the best record and then, you know, probably see Joe Mazzula winning coach of the year um, or, you know, arguably, and maybe we see Brad Stevens win executive of the year, arguably though. So we just have to wait and see. One last question too as well. Um, Jason Tatum made some comments um, earlier about, I think uh, Malika Andrews was asking who you think is the best player in the league and stuff. And Jason Tatum himself said, it's him. He said, I feel like when I step on the floor, I feel like I'm the best player in the league. And people that's not Jason Tatum fans and stuff, they're going to look at it and be like, well, you haven't done anything. You haven't won the MVP. Look, you choked in 2022 in the NBA Finals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. For me, as a Boston Celtic, to hear those comments, I loved it. I loved it because sometimes you can't really say, well, you know, yeah, I think this such and such is the best player and all that. And, you know, if you're confident and you know you're confident with yourself and all that, and you admit to yourself that you feel like you're the best player in the game, then that's good. But also, it's going to have a target on your back. You have to prove that you're the best player in the game. You have to really prove it to everybody or prove it to yourself too as well. So what y'all think of Jason Tatum's comments? I could care less that he said it. I'll be honest with you. Um, he said he's the best player. I mean, okay, you know, good, you know, good for you. Like go out there and, and, and compete. Go out there and, and show why you said that. Don't go out there and, and rest on shooting 10 threes. And, and not going to your post-up game, you know, uh, that's not, that's not what makes you the, the best player in the league. If that's what you're saying, you know, go out there and, and, and wreak havoc, 
you know, his aggression is 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 what sometimes he's missing. Go out there and do that and show and, and show that. You know, I have no problem with it because you're not gonna call yourself if you're you know a singer. You're not gonna say, well, I'm one of the worst singers in the you know and you know in in, in the genre. I'm, just, I'm one of the best. Or I'm the best. You're not gonna say that if you, you know if we've, Whatever you whatever you do, you're going to say you're the best at it. You know, um, sometimes you speak things into existence and it, it's a positive thing. And sometimes you actually believe it because then you have confidence in yourself. I have no problem with it. You know, Jason just has to go out there and play. And then and that's what he has to do and lead your team. You're the leader. They follow you. Go lead, you know, and and go prove it. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, yeah, I, I'm down with it. I He should feel like he's the best. I don't think he's proved yet that he's the best player in the NBA, but he has proved that he can be the best player on the court any given night. And yes. and that's enough to like put him in the conversation to be the best player. And, you know, I think if, if the Celtics do win a title, people will start talking more about him as the best player in the game and as an MVP candidate. And so him putting his name in there, I, you know, I respect it. Like, um, even, you know, I, I was with Portland Trailblazers and young Damian Lillard, when he was getting snubbed from all-star games, he was like, no, I should be in the MVP conversation. Like, that's my goal. You know, and we liked it. I'm like, yeah, like, like give, bring attention to yourself because the media is not going to bring it to you. Same with like Donovan Mitchell came out this week, said, no, I should be top three. And then I was like, you know, what? he's not wrong. I was like, Cleveland, unreal what, what they turned around this year. And that was Donovan that did that. But he wasn't getting any MVP buzz. So I don't I don't. Yeah. With Tatum, I don't mind. It's like uh, because I know he believes it as well, that he's as good mm-hmm. or can beat anyone on the court any given night. So um, I think goes back to consistency once he starts doing it every night. But, yeah, he's right there. Tatum wants to win. Um, just real quick, um, JP, if Tatum wants to win a, an MVP, there's a, there's a couple things that he has to do that others do before him that are that are leading you know and that's these really big games they happen consistently you know so luca constantly 36 10 and 9 30 or 34 you know 12 and 8 you see and it's constant constant now do i think luca necessarily should be in front of him no as an eighth seed no you know um, but he's, he's an extraordinary player. He's very consistent. You know, Joel Embiid, I can depend on him to score a certain, a certain way and a certain amount uh, per night. The assists are going to come. The rebounds are going to come. There's a consistency. I just know when he's hits the floor, you know, unless it's the playoffs, but the regular season, I know he's going to, to turn out the thing about Tatum. He's an elite rebounder. I think he's an underrated player in a way when I say this, but I think he's an elite rebounder as well for a wingman. You know, he should average close to 10 rebounds, 32 points, six or seven assists. If he does that, about 30, 32 points, 10 rebounds, six or seven assists, you'll see him find like take an MVP from somebody who you thought was going to get it. If he just does that right there consistently a season. I feel that. Uh, thank goodness he didn't say that he was fine in the East. So I'm very happy that that that, that I'm very happy he didn't say that. So we, we're good. We're good on that. Um, John, we really appreciate you coming on the Celtics Rewind. Um, 
just your knowledge and just like your analysis and the stories, which is awesome. And we really do appreciate you. And like I said, um, Olio, um, on the podcast, you know, the classes, the class that I took about the trade deadline, bringing in, you know, guests, you know, giving us like advice and asking questions and then just being able to feel like an NBA GM for like a week was just phenomenal. Um, and that's getting the game one-on-one. Definitely love what y'all doing. Um, can you explain more about getting the game one-on-one? What's the focus? How did you build it up? Um, it was awesome to meet you and have you in the course. And uh, yeah, so I worked uh, 15 seasons as a um started out on the video coordinator on the coaching staff and then moved to the personnel side and was more of a video scout and um, one of the things i did for the trailblazers was uh hire interns and so i would go through hundreds of applications and get all kinds of emails and linkedin and thousands of messages people who want to work in the nba and um you know as you filter through those obviously you can't respond to a thousand people or a thousand resumes but you know i started like there's started to become this, like, you know, which people you're going to interview. They got to have like this, this, and this on their resume. And, you know, people would email you and there's only so many emails you can respond to. So there's only same thing as cer- certain emails you would respond to. And so um, my first article I wrote was kind of just to, to help people who are trying to work at the NBA. It was like three, three things you need to get a job in the NBA or get an internship in the NBA. And I posted on LinkedIn before I even really used LinkedIn and it like kind of went viral. And I was like, oh, wow, like people really like this. And so I followed up with uh, three ways to keep an MBA internship. And then that went crazy. And so um, then once uh, it was actually during the COVID seasons, I was working from home. Um, So I started like doing more writing and stuff as well. And then started getting the game 101. So then uh, once, you know, I got let go from the Blazers during post Neil Olshay era, all of, all of that stuff. Um, so after that I got let go and I didn't even, I didn't really, I needed a break from basketball in general. So I didn't really watch basketball, but I, you know, I kept writing these articles and then the NBA draft was coming around and I do love the NBA draft. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to just host an NBA draft course and bring in, you know, NBA personnel and we'll have, Q and A's with the students, and then they'll be in their their front offices, and we'll have a draft at the end. And so we kind of created this course, um, and like it was like one week before one week before we started, like I launched it, and like we ended up with like thirty five students, and and it was like we just all had a blast. It was so much fun, um, you know, Bjorn Zetterberg and Mike Weisenberg, some of my guys who were helping out, and um, you know, Caleb Canales was like our first guest speaker and he's been on a lot of ours. So we just had all these guys. We started bringing in like NBA trainers and personnel and scouts. And we do like Q and A is kind of the format we're doing now. And so it went so well, you know, then we did a summer league crash course and we did a training camp and then we did a trade deadline course that, that I met you at. So that kind of became our core, um, four courses that we do. And so, yeah, you know, I still, you know, I have a Substack, um, so it's getting the game 101substackcom and I write weekly articles still, you know, helping students who want to work in the NBA. And then, you know, we host the co- courses and then um, here in a month, we'll relaunch our podcast or start a podcast and uh, relaunch our website and just kind of kind of building it up from here. Um, so it's been exciting and I'll be here and thanks for being a part of it.
Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely, if y'all listening, please follow Getting the Game one-on-one on any social media platform that you have. That, Like I said, they are really dope. I took the class. Thank you to Danny Ch- Thompson. Shout out to him. Um, great class. I mean, I have nothing but positive to say, things to say about Getting the Game one-on-one. So I recommend you, whenever a class comes, you better sign up for it if you really want to try to get into basketball and all that. And if you really wanted to follow and if you like the articles, they make amazing articles. So shout out to y'all. We appreciate you coming on too as well. Nat, you know, I always appreciate you as my co-host and all that, you know. Let's get ready for the second half of the season. I cannot wait. We bleed green and all that. No Spike Lee available for any Boston Celtic games and all that, you know. So I can't wait till Saturday. I can't can't wait till Saturday. So this is episode 15 of the Celtics Rewind. I'm JP, the franchise. She's Nat, the GM. That's John Walsky in the game one-on-one. And we out of here, y'all. Peace, y'all.